0: Well, good afternoon, everybody. And Dennis Fithian here, and I'm ready to get things underway. Podcast number one. And I'm going to talk with my longtime radio partner, Pat Caputo. That's straight ahead. But before I get to Caputo, I want to say thanks for tuning in. You can look for me here at least three times a week. It's going to be mostly sports, entertainment, TV, that kind of thing. Thanks for being a day one right now. And you know, for me, the last two weeks, give you a quick update. I was uh, isoed in a spare room, uh, apart from my family, but I uh, was able to get out of that iso uh, on Easter Sunday. So it was great to be around my family, and uh, it's that's been. It's just been a few days here, so uh, it's been like I'm back from vacation or something like that. So I've been walking the dog, hanging out with my two pet goats, a lot of yard work. Uh, Some golf, been doing some chipping in the front yard, 55 to 75 yards there. It's, uh, you know, you get a little bit better, more you practice. Who knew? And I've been getting some baskets up here by myself. Uh, It's a dirt road, but it's kind of old school, you know, old school, uh, like Hoosiers throwing up uh, against a barn, except it's not a barn. It's a a rim. It's just on a dirt road. And, uh, you know, other than that, I've gone through Ozark. Orange is the New Black. I'm reading a, a book called 1776 by David McCullough. I'm pretty textbooky uh, text uh, at the beginning there. And I'm you know, kind of so far, I'm about halfway through. But uh, I like it. I like it. Good year, 1776. And you know what? Uh, I've also been doing a little, uh, trying to get some some video so I can practice doing some play-by-play, uh, doing some old games, trying to stay, uh, stay sharp there. So... Uh, I'll give you an update on how I'm coming along on that. I haven't actually got the videos yet. So uh, what I can tell you is that, um, you know, I love broadcasting. I love radio, but uh, I love podcasts. And I did a little bit this summer, but mostly I've just been a consumer. And uh, I just love it. I love the, uh, the uh, blank canvas. Anywhere you want to go with a podcast, you can. All kinds of different things. And uh, I'm looking, you know, I can't wait. Here I am. I'm doing it. Here's number one. And here's a chat with the tickets and the Oakland presses, Pat Caputo. All right. Welcome in, Pat. Hey, Pat, I took an opening line from you uh, last month when we were passing each other at work. And that line was, "Is uh, I would ask you how you were doing. And you, you said uh, uh, you're doing as well as could be expected under the circumstances. And I've been using that line.
1: Yeah. Well, it's uh, I never remember times uh it's uh, uh I don't, it's tough as these, uh for sure, Dennis. And uh you know, uh the best to you and your family, Mary uh Will, Faith, uh Louis, uh Penelope, I forgot the name of the other goes Lola Ray. Uh Lola Ray and uh I hope they're uh doing well and uh you're doing well and uh, you've been a good friend, uh partner on the air for many years and uh you know, I admire you a great deal as a as a person and a friend.
0: Well, hey, thanks, Pat, and say hi to your wife, Lori. I don't know if she knows this, but uh, besides my immediate family and people I talk with all the time, she seems to be the biggest fan of my two goats. So, uh, I'll keep sending you pictures. Yeah, there you go. You yeah. <laughs> it seems like yeah, she
1: it. always likes it when you send the uh, uh, the pictures of uh, of your goats. So, and uh, their new shed. So.
0: Yeah, well, Pat, you know, it's uh, it's it's draft week, uh, a week from Thursday, and I know we've been talking about it a lot even uh, before this, and uh, we know it's going to be a way different presentation, but one thing, you know, it's going to be happening for real in this pandemic, and there's not a lot of other things that are actually happening uh, for real, so there's something that it seems like everybody's kind of pouring themselves into just looking forward to, you know, that Thursday night and then the weekend.
1: Well, the thing about the, the, the draft in the NFL is that uh, it's bigger. It would be something that uh, would be dominating the media anyway, even if baseball had started. Uh, I'm talking about the sports media or the NBA. was uh, starting to playoffs off to the Stanley Cup. Uh, the NFL is king. Uh, the timing uh, for the NFL allowed for them to do that. And, uh, I salute, uh, the NFL for moving forward the best they can on this, um, because, uh, there's, uh, such a drumbeat of, uh, you know, the coronavirus, uh, crisis that, uh, you know, we need a little bit of an escape, a little bit of, uh, sports. And this gives us a lot, actually, uh, because, uh, the draft is, I would say probably after, uh, you know, the Super Bowl and the NCAA basketball tournament, uh, maybe the biggest thing. And I and I think in terms of uh, the amount of discussion and uh, opining about it and, uh, you know, interest in it, uh, probably more than any of that, you know, people love the NFL draft. You know, Dennis, uh, I love drafts, period. But, uh, you know, nothing remotely compares to the NFL draft in sports. That's for
0: sure. Yeah, and the Lions have that uh, number three pick, and we'll get to that in a moment. I just saw today that John Harbaugh, the Ravens coach, he was uh, expressing concerns possibly about the Ravens' feed uh, getting hacked, and he expressed concerns about cybersecurity. But Troy Vincent, the VP of football ops, he said, stop it. Nobody's going to hack you. But you know, I, I see both sides of that. I can see Troy Vincent saying that, but I, I could also see a team, if they're sitting around, if you and I are, are GM and coach and, and we're on whatever it is you think it's, a secure type zoom or it's not going to be zoom or whatever it is. And we're sitting around talking about what we're going to do and make a trade. I, that would make me feel a little bit uneasy that there might be somebody in there that's trying to grab my information.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, I think, uh, the way the circumstances go with it, uh, you know, uh, the football coaches tend to be, uh, you know, super <laughs> yeah. detailed, uh, look at, you know, uh, the way things are going, uh, somebody's going to get their information and everything, uh, so that doesn't surprise me. You know, uh, That's why uh, the, the, the ranks on the game have been so closed, but uh, I think uh, right now uh, information is uh, a great value uh, that was accumulated before, and the difference between this draft, I think, is uh, they did get the combine in, they did get the senior bowl in, Uh, They got all the information and interviews, uh, but the pro days and everything, you know, kind of throw it uh, a little bit out of whack. Those last minute, hey, you really want to look at this guy's physicals, uh, all that stuff has been delayed. So I I suppose whatever information that teams have now is more valuable than it ever has been, and that's the way they feel about it, you know.
0: Yeah, and those coaches, you know, they're by nature, they're control freaks and they're suspicious. So all of that that goes into it, just from – from that aspect of them having to really do the tape work and not rely on some different right. things with some medicals that'll be interesting. All right, well, I've waited this long and not to get to the Lions here and you know with with the news about uh, Tuatunga Violoa not being able to go through a a a full pro day, uh, I feel like that that loses a little bit of uh the value there for the Lions at 3 that's what I've been saying for the last couple of days, and really since last week, Pat. But then I have, you know, I've been listening nationally to uh, the different people. Uh, Trent Dilfer, like talking about, he's talking about Tua as being special, special, and that teams are going to be looking to move up, and so maybe the Lions still are in with the chance of of teams and and creating that bidding war that they want with the chance that. Maybe they'll be able to get their guy and be able to move back, too.
1: Well, the Lions are in a spot where, uh, and I've maintained this all along, that if you look at Matthew Stafford and uh, the Lions uh, being so tethered to him, uh, that right there uh, tells the rest of the football world that, hey, look, you know, you've got your quarterback. We know you do. Um, the idea that they're going to put uh, take to and have him be a secession plan. Kind of like back in the day when uh, the Packers took Aaron Rodgers or something seems pretty far fetched. So uh, that right there kind of is uh, indicative of like, if you want him, okay. Uh, you know, if you're the dolphins or you're the chargers uh, to say to the lions, well, go ahead and take to, you know, go ahead. You know, we will see you do it. You know, uh, and I don't think the lions, necessarily you know this isn't you know some kind of inside information it's just speculation really want to get into that type of game you know chicken uh with the uh, uh uh either one of those two teams seems unlikely the Giants will take him obviously the you know Daniel Jones did pretty well I think kind of an outlier here is if Washington were to take him you know but uh you know I've, I look at the presumption of the way this draft is going to go um It would be pretty uh, newsworthy if, uh, you know, there were a uh, quarterback trade-up. i see the draft going with the Lions taking either Okuda or Simmons at three overall, you know, and uh, virtually every mock draft has that. And the the idea of a trade-up doesn't seem to be ideal. The thing with two, you know, you mentioned Trent Dilfer and there are others, and then you got the Michael Lombardi's and others that, uh, you know, talk about the practicality of his injuries and, uh, you know, some of the situation that's happened with uh, Tua, uh, you know, it's not only if he had a wrist injury, ankle injuries, you know, a lot of different things that have happened in durability, not being able to get those final medicals, uh, I think it definitely has drawn down his value some
0: yeah I think that for sure. It was always under the idea. I mean i I was uh, called myself a Tua a, a truther. I love watching him throw the ball. I think he's really got something that that thing where you just watch you say, man he he really knows how to distribute the football like uh, the the timing, the rhythm, all of that. Right. but right. because uh, because of the hip, because of the consecutive ankle injuries, whether it's a thumb or wrist or hand, he also had that. he needed to go out. And he needed to go through more than that two-week-ago Monday seven-step drop, little shuffle, which was encouraging. But then, you know, whatever it was, um, you know, not last Monday but the Monday before when he just came out and said, yeah, he wasn't going to be able to to go through because of the pandemic a pro day, but then put together this hype video, which had him throwing the football more and and doing a little bit more, but nothing close to what they would – the paces that they would put him through – if you know he was going to go through a full workout where he was going to run a 40, where he was going to shuffle, where he's going to make all of the different throws, and you know my point to two is, if he really wants to go in the top five or or all the way, maybe even uh, at number two, would be you put those videos together. Why not go with a live stream and go through and and show everybody that you can make all the throws and that you can go through an entire workout rather than some edited, you know, hype video that. That had if I was sitting there at three and now advising the Lions, I would say, "Look, I wanted you to take him, but it was always with the understanding that we were going to have a chance to see him go through the complete workout." That's to me that that drops his value.
1: Yeah, I think that makes uh, you know some sense the way you put it. Uh, you know in that uh, realm. I, you know, it's like I uh, said all along about Tua is uh, you know he's a six foot tall uh, lefty quarterback. If, uh, who has had a, a, a pretty significant string of injuries. And uh, it's a, he's a bit of, and I, I know this is a—you know kind of a stretch, but a, a bit of a carry-on Johnson of the quarterbacks, You know, uh, where he is obviously an outstanding uh, player, uh, but the injuries are a concern. And if this were five years ago, well, there's no way he'd be remotely on this radar at all, changed because of Patrick Mahomes. And some others, uh, Kyler Murray, uh, shorter quarterbacks, no longer are they worried about uh, if the shorter quarterbacks throwing over opposing line, then they try to get him in the throwing lane. Uh, and you've seen success of some of the shorter quarterbacks in the NFL, uh, in, in some instances, a very dynamic uh, success. So, you know, all of a sudden it is, and I and I have a mixed bag on to uh, every time I've seen them play. Even when he didn't have good games, I was very impressed. And he was on a lot, and saw a lot of his games uh, live. And uh, actually, we had the game on when he, when he got that injury, even though it was like thirty-five to seven or forty-two to seven or whatever against Mississippi State. Uh, the timing, you know, the touch, uh, the feel, uh, which show, you know, a little bit in that video. But if you were to flip the screen on that and look at, uh, you know, Herbert throwing uh, his footwork. Um, even at six foot six, uh, if you were to look at uh, Jordan Love, look at his footwork and what he did at the, you know, these, uh, you know, very marquee, everybody's there, uh, senior bowl, combine, uh, and then flip it with what Tua did in that tape, which you, you know, uh, noted was edited. uh, Those two players look more impressive actually in their workouts uh, than, than Tua, you know, and so, uh, it's just, it just depends on the perception of things. Now, uh, it's like the whole thing I uh, discussed uh, about Herbert. Herbert checks every box. Uh, extraordinarily athletic. Uh, you know, runs a sub 4, 6 40, probably beat to in a 40-yard dash. Uh, a very successful career. You know, they did win the Pac-12 uh, uh, championship game as an underdog. Uh, won the Rose Bowl with Herbert, you know, providing heroics. Uh, the game that knocked them out of the Final Four, Herbert actually let them down the field against Arizona State. But it was a case where Arizona State had the ball last. Yet there's kind of a knock on him, right? You know, the, uh, you know he's not the alpha male or however they want to put it. And I saw Jordan Love play live. He's extraordinarily impressive. Um, you know, and he's kind of, you know, got a little bit more of a Patrick Mahomes in him than anybody else, perhaps in this draft. Uh, when you look at his skill set. Uh but all three of those guys and you know, two is in this category and I think sometimes he's not put in there are very high risk, high reward. And it's either because in Tua's case because of the injuries. Otherwise I think Tua would at minimum be a good quarterback in the NFL. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Herbert and, uh, love, uh, could go either way. Uh, to me, it's like, they could be truly great, or they could be total busts, both of them. And, uh, but you know, two because of the injuries is in that category, but you know how things go before the draft and there's uh, there's a wave, you know, and the wave is the, is the two away, so to speak, you know?
0: Yeah, well, you know what? Getting back to Herbert there, uh, the the whole he's not an alpha, it's amazing. Like, uh, I heard Greg McElroy. I, I'm 99% sure it was him talking about Herbert, mentioning that, yeah, he's super smart, but he's not an alpha. And he mentioned Mariota, went all the way back to Harrington. I mean, those guys were Oregon quarterbacks. That has nothing to do with Herbert. But then I saw – one of my, my recent uh, – I guess I'd say I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a super fan now of a, of a writer down at the South Florida Sun-Sentinel, Omar Kelly. So I just put it in Twitter. I, I put in Herbert and Alpha and Omar Kelly. There was a tweet saying, hey, you know, he's not an Alpha. So, you know, I mean, that is the knock on him. But, you know, to your point watching um, you sit around and if if Herbert had the compliment of wide receivers that Tua did or Joe Burrow, he didn't necessarily – he had a good line at Oregon but I remember watching the the first game first or second game of the year when they were playing Auburn and they really had them beat 95% of that game but in the first half they're getting ready to blow them out Herbert puts the ball right on his wide receiver I mean right between the numbers it bounced off his chest I mean it was a touch pass too and it was amazing I mean he catches that they had to settle for a field goal so there is you know something to that and you know for the Lions for their diligence here I saw that they set up a teleconference. They had an interview with Tua. They had an interview with Justin Herbert. I know they had him at the Senior Bowl. I don't think they're gonna take him at three, but they're you know probably trying to create a little bit of uh, you know some uh, excitement there, and maybe a team would 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 bite on that. But Pat, it gets back to it's it's the rub with the Lions and, and teams that have been perennially you know towards the bottom here it's and it's a problem with their organization here and and I was just reminded again about it with with Snacks. You know, Trent Dilfer when I'm listening to him talk about Tua, he puts the caveat like, "Hey, he thinks he's special special and teams are dying to get him, but then he says he really has to go to an organization that has an owner with great vision and a quarterback centric head coach." And I'm like, "Well, you know, that's not the Lions." And then, you know, yesterday I see this uh, the the quotes from Snacks who said he was hell bent on getting out of Detroit even before he came in here. And, you know, you just read the, you read the story of the podcast that he was on and he, he, he's basically saying, look, once he got his deal, he was trying to get out. Once he got his extension, he was trying to get out. And it was because of the players uh, that he talked to that were uh, with Detroit before he got there. And then there were players when he got there. And it's always that thing with the lions there, you know, getting snacks, people want to know how you're going to turn things around where you're going to get great players to play great for you. And the lions were able to get snacks who in his own way, I mean, he was an all pro, you know, he had potential to be one of the best at his position for the lions and that it didn't work out whether he was mad or he was out of shape or he got hurt or whatever. It just didn't work out, but that's, that's the kind of whether it's break or that's the kind of player that needs to work out for the lions to, to turn this thing around. And it's just, it's a constant reminder, especially with him. It seems like every other week, something's coming out, you know, about how he wanted to get out of Dodge at ASAP, you know?
1: Well, that's uh you know, the, a lot of the things, uh, as you know, uh, I talked about at the time that it happened, what was happening and uh, what I heard about that, you know, the, bit by bit by bit, it's all come out you know, publicly. Um, you know, a lot of it here recently, uh, uh, Sway and uh, uh, Quandre Gigs were up on, uh, you know, uh, I think it was Instagram. Uh, I had to double check, but they were on social media taking some shots at Patricia. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of torn on it, uh, not because I think Patricia's done a terrific job, it, and, and I like those players, all of them, you know, uh, they're pros and they're really good players, but you know, what were they doing with the money that they got? You know, how much effort were they putting in when they were with the Lions for the goal of them to win for the Detroit fans? You know, slay made what uh, 12 million last year uh, snacks made a pretty good chunk of change. 11. Uh, I think it was something like that. Uh, the they, you know, quandary Gates got a contract extension. And I understand, you know, their coach, uh, you know, uh, doesn't have the best, uh, you know, way about him to uh, do that. But, their, you know, Lions did not really accomplish very much. And uh, so the balance there was, OK, how much are you putting in for what you're actually being paid? I think that's a, a fair question when it comes down to those guys. And the other thing, too, is, you know, we're, you know, as a society, basically all, you know, uh, you know, at our homes. Uh, you know, going out uh, with uh, face masks on um, to go to the grocery store to buy, you know, some things that, you know, basic uh, elements that may not even be there. Uh, you know, uh, folks are, you know, struggling, the uncertainty of the future and everything, and they're still taking shots at math, patrician, they're as secure as possibly can be. So there's a, a balance there between what they're saying and how it is moving forward with what the reality is of what we're going through right now uh, as the NFL draft uh, approaches, you know, and how should we feel about it? You know? So, uh, you know, it's just, you know, it's like, okay, when is enough enough? Okay. We get it. You know, it's finally all come out that you were the guys that were number was telling you, there was a lot of pushback and a lot. Now you know where it was coming from, how it was coming from. Uh, okay. We understand that now enough's enough. Okay. And I was surprised about Damian Harrison because he had said complimentary things when he left he did get an extension they did extend him um, and uh, you know the thing about the defense and all those different things I, I don't know exactly how it plays in the in the hand but he he, he did not play well and in the same defense uh, in 2018 uh, he played extraordinarily well you know
0: yeah well maybe one day they'll get some players that'll come in here and uh you know won't bad mouth them on the way out. You know, that's going to be the dream here for Lion fans. You know, one more thing about, you know, the pick at three or if they move back to five or six. And I know Isaiah Simmons, you mentioned that the possibility that the Lions could take him at three. And I, I think that they – I mean, you have to be interested in him. I mean, who wasn't uh, wowed by the kind of performance that he turned in, in in Indianapolis? It just seems to me that with the Lions here – That that Simmons, because we don't know if there's going to be OTAs, we don't know how they're going to be able to work uh, uh, rookies in there with the veterans, and knowing the urgency with this particular staff, Okuda, not that you're going to put him out on an island from Game 1, but I think you could project to say, hey, you know what, he's going to be a starter uh, from Game 1, where Simmons... You're going to have to find a role for him, whether he's going to come in as a safety, linebacker, edge rush, and there's a lot of different components to that. It seems to me. I mean, do you think that that, that I might be onto something there? That just because it's he might end up having a, a higher. It looks like he has a higher ceiling, could be a better player, but it's hard to project him a game one as hitting the field and being an impact player. Where I think you can do that for Okuda. Uh,
1: yeah, you know the. Uh they're both outstanding and you know, things like that, then it's uh, they tend to handle themselves, you know, unless it's a quarterback, you know, uh, if you can keep it simple, stupid, you know, the kiss method uh, with uh, them and just basically uh, play to their athleticism. Uh, you know, they're, you're also going to have uh, less time for other teams to adjust to it. And, uh, you know, for me, it's, uh, you know, uh, corners take some time to learn how to play in the league it's a little bit different too you know it's not a position that uh, there have been some exceptions a lot more a couple of years ago would be an example of it but uh for the most part it takes a little bit of time for the corners to get ready so from that standpoint i don't know if it matters that much uh you know with simmons you can just basically uh, just try to play to his athleticism. If you put him in certain spots, you know I think one of the underrated aspects about him would be he would be a pretty good pass rusher given his speed. Um, but you move him from there, you move him back to drop, you could really mess up some things. But I don't know Okuda. To me, they look like both exceptional talents. They do uh, those two players uh, exceptional talent. If they get one of those two players, and I don't care which one it is. You know, I know that there's a likelihood that one will have a better career than the other and all that, but, you know, I think the Lions would probably be doing pretty good there, you know, because they have five picks in the first 109. Uh, and they did actually, those free agency went on, at a lot of depth, particularly defensively. Um, Bob Quinn kind of went back to what he used to do uh, with free agency his first year. Anyway, where, you know, he went more for depth than, you know, trying to get splash signings. And uh, that might pay off for him that way. It opens up the door, but your point's well taken, but I I don't know how much of a factor that's going to be. You know, the whole thing is so uncertain, you know, and uh, a lot of the prep work, you know, Jim Harbaugh was on a podcast uh, the other day. And, uh, you know, one of the things he said that was a great point about Michigan was like when he was a backup quarterback, you know, he always wanted to prepare like he was going to be a starter. And this is uh, no time for the Lions, you know, to not be preparing like, you know, they're going to be, you know, the starting quarterback, you know, the season because you don't want to get caught, you know, shorthanded in this case. And a lot of it will be getting them up to speed, you know, uh, with those two and uh, knowing what they can do and can't do, you know, not asking them to do too much when it comes down to uh, maybe keys and reads and just kind of letting them just go out there and go after the ball.
0: Well, Pat, I'll make sure that I send your recommendation down to the Lions uh, brass and everything. The the the, the kiss approach uh, to the draft. Yeah. Keep it keep it simple. simple. <laughs> keep it simple. Keep it simple, guys. Stupid. Yeah. There you yeah. go. I'll, I'll send that uh, with your regards to it. Hey, I, I wanted to ask you uh, one more thing here. It had nothing to do with football. It had to do with the great Al Kaline, Mr. Tiger. I read all of your stuff about uh, Al last week, but you know, it just occurred to me. That, you know, growing up, I never saw K-Line play, but he was always present on the TV with George Kell, and I loved it. And it was my favorite thing to watch growing up. But then a couple years when I was down at Comerica a lot, it would be 2006, 7, and 8, where I was down at most of the home games, I just was was thinking about it. Al was always there. He was in the locker room talking with the guys. He was down on the field. He was in the dugout. He was uh, up in the press box. He was in the broadcast booth, especially when they had those – Atkins pies and and soups in there, seeing, you know, coming in and, and, you know, grabbing a piece of pie or something. But, man, and and then I just thought of somebody like you that was down, uh, whether it was Comerica or Tiger Stadium, just how much you must have saw of Al Kaline over the years and just how much of a fixture he was, you know, for Tiger baseball.
1: Well, yeah, you know, uh, I got all kinds of memories. People talk about their memories with the person. And uh, so I apologize for that because he's so much bigger than any memory that I would have with. You understand what I'm saying? But, you know, my favorite memory of Al, uh, there's a couple, many of them, but the one that I always thought was special uh, was uh, when I was still on the beat uh, and uh, Tiger Stadium, you know, was uh, in its last years. And uh, I would get down to the ballpark early. You know, uh, just, I couldn't get there fast enough. You know, it's always no matter what type of day, you know, uh, things have been going, and I couldn't get down to the park enough. And I would watch the early batting practice. You know, somebody that might be coming back from injury, or somebody taking some extra swings, or whatever. I would go into the dugout at Tiger Stadium, the home dugout, and just sit there and watch batting practice early, kind of gather my thoughts to what they asked the manager uh, when he would come out at uh, or into his office at you know, say 345. So this would be like 2, 2.30 in the afternoon, you know, a typical summer day. And you know who would be in that dugout watching that batting practice with me most days? Al Kaline. Mm. And just sit there and talk. And, uh, you know, whoever was up there at the plate, you know, he would, uh, you know, describe what was going on, talk about different things that were going on uh, in the organization with this player or that player or maybe some of the things in the past, you know involving the 68 Tigers and different things, just having a conversation with him, uh, you know, on those bases, you know. And the, the beauty of Al is he was a big deal to everybody uh, except himself, you know. And uh, that was, you know, what I found about him. Uh, you know, I've seen grown men cry, you know, when they are around Al Kaline on multiple occasions just because it's like they couldn't believe they were there with him. There's a certain generation, uh, the older part of the baby boomers uh, especially, Uh, that completely enamored with Al Kaline. Uh, He was the Mickey Namo of the town, but, you know, just, uh, you know, how he was. And uh, you mentioned him as a broadcaster. What I remember specifically about that is that a lot of times players get sensitive if they were criticized by broadcast. I saw Jack Morris get really, really upset at Jim Northrup, I remember that. He forgot what it was like to play the game. And then Jack getting it from Biggie a couple years ago, you know, uh, like that. That never happened with Al. Uh, players didn't dare say anything to Al or about Al uh, because he wasn't uh, brutally honest. He was just honest. And he was Al Kaline. So how are you going to dispute that? You know, uh, he was extraordinary. Uh, you know, uh, he, he every, every tribute that you've read about him, all those things, I, I think are basically true. I'm not much for deifying people, but you know, LK line everything that everybody wrote about him was true and uh you know he he was terrific and uh I'm sorry to hear about his passing uh you know happening when it happened to was almost surreal you know uh it you know it's it's uh one of those things that uh you know is uh, beyond uh description sometimes but you know he was the guy and you know one thing about Dennis uh You know, I think Al Avila would – I think he probably has confirmed this. Uh, Jim Leland definitely would. Well, Al had said something to them. They listened. He wasn't never the decision maker for the Tigers. But he was definitely somebody that had a lot of input in what's happened with the Tigers down through the years.
0: Well, I know Al Avila, they'll work on something, do a a special presentation where you can get back and play in some baseball. And you know what? You mentioned Jim Leland, Pat, and I remember a story – when the all-star game was being played in San Francisco, you were out there doing some kind of story and you're going to talk with Al and Jim Leland was, so it probably was 2007 because Leland was the, right uh, the manager there, the AL team. But so he had his, he had his office there out in San Francisco and Al told Jim, Hey, could you, it kind of kicked him out of the, his own office there. So he could talk with you. I, I, I love that. I well, love that what it story.
1: Was, is, uh... It was in San Francisco, and Willie Mays uh, was the captain of the uh, National League team, and Al was the uh, uh, captain of the American League team. And Willie Mays was getting all the attention, right? It's out there in San Francisco and uh, all that. And Al was in his office, uh, Jim's office, uh, uh, before the game. And, uh, I don't know, it was before the game. It was uh, during one of the practices. And they're just sitting in there alone, and I I walked in. And I I, I said to Al, Al, can I talk to you for a minute for this column I'm writing? And, uh, yeah, I thought Al would come out and would talk in the clubhouse or something like that. And he asked Jim, he said, Jim, do you mind? And I was in the manager's office with Al Kaline. Jim goes, okay. And he walked walked out. He had so much respect for Al, you know. So uh, Al Kaline was the man. You know, everybody knew that, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, he uh, revered my family on both sides, man. Nobody ever, everybody just always said, you know, the greatest things about him. Uh, it was just, it was one of the things everybody agreed on. Everybody loved L K Kaline.
1: Well, watching those uh, like '68 uh, World Series games, uh, Fox Sports Detroit had him on. Uh, I know '97-1. Uh, the tickets been replaying a lot of uh, you know past games, but the '68 games, uh, you know, to me. Uh, you know, a big deal, uh, you know, to be able to see them in their entirety. And you get to see what a great player Al Kaline was. Uh, that uh, smooth, sweeping uh, right-handed swing. Uh, the ball goes in the corner. Lou Brock's on first base. He's going to the ball to second. Uh, one of the plays in game 73 behind the runner uh, at second base almost got, I think it was Kirk Flood, uh, picked off uh, throwing arm, uh, and he, you know, the hits that he had, you know, of all the things that happened in the 68 world series, I think just looking back at it, uh, watching game five, I watched the other day, uh, in its entirety. Uh, and the, uh, the hit that he had, the roar of the crowd, even with the, uh, you know, fairly ar- archaic uh, video of that time and sound system. It's just thunderous at Tiger Stadium. You could just hear it, and he extended applause and uh, what it meant in Al's career, you know, when they finally won it, you know. Because he had been, uh, he, there. there's some similarities between Al and Matthew Stafford, in a sense, um, because there was a lot of frustration about Stafford um, because he's not Aaron Rodgers, you know. With Al, it would be he wasn't Mickey Mantle, you know. Mm. But picture maybe Stafford getting over the top, you know how popular he is now after he was such a polarizing figure. If he were to get over the top now, how people would feel about it. It was somewhat like that with Al. There was a, a Sports Illustrated uh, story in 1964 of uh, about Al as a cover story uh, that is very, very uh, perceptive about what his career really was like, At you know a particular time and uh you know why 68 was so important you know to that and the thing with al about it he never really looked at it that way when he actually talked to him about it what he would say about the 68 team was how much they had each other's backs you know how they were uh so together there was no nothing uh drawn with that team around the racial or ethnic lines they were just together you know a bunch of really good guys is how he viewed it uh we knew how to Police themselves and you know uh, bond together to do uh, special things, and they were such underdogs in that World Series. Uh, you know, it was unbelievable.
0: Yeah, well, you know what? Something that was before my time, but the year before, man, the the, the crushing defeat right there at the ends, and then come back and put it all together—that made it, I think, that much better for people that were were so disappointed the year before. Then to get it done in in '68, man, that that's still talked about to this day.
1: Well, also, the riots were in '67. And, uh, you know, that uprising uh, is defined uh, life in Metro Detroit uh, many years since. And uh, the thing about the '68 uh, Tigers is uh, they brought everybody together. Now, I have some recollection of it, and you know, I was very young. Um, but, uh, you know, if going back and looking at HBO had a great. Uh, 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 documentary about it. Lee Shriver, Ray Donovan is the, uh, narrator for it, you know? And, uh, you know, it was just uh really, really good, um, which I've watched, uh, gosh, it uh, must be 15 or 20 times. And I've read everything that I, I can about it. And I, you know, the, the, uh, privilege I've had, uh, had in the media is to be around folks that have seen it, you know, that uh, covered it, you know, that uh, understood it down through the years and know a lot of those uh, players uh, to know Al, you know, uh, to know Al pretty well, you know. And uh, so that, uh, you know, it's a privilege, you know, uh, to do that. And, you know, what I discovered about, there's been a lot of great championships and uh, all of them have been special in their own way. Uh, but the, the, that particular championship uh, probably had more social significance uh, than any other uh, championship we've had in terms of when it happened and how it happened, you know. Uh, it happened at a time of, uh, uh, of great uh, upheaval in our area, and uh, it brought everybody together. It didn't solve our problems, but it was uh, uh, an important uh, salve uh, to help ease our pain, you know. So, yeah, that was, you know, an LK line was, you know, emblematic of that, the symbol of that, the example of that, along with Willie Horton and some others.
0: Yeah, well said, Pat. Well, hey, I I wanted to say one last thing to you. I wanted to just ask you a question. You know, you, I I know being around you for all those years, uh, you get a, like, kind of a a glean in your eye when you talk about writing. I mean, you just do it. Uh, You put your head down. Next thing you know, the keys are flying. And uh, you get so pumped up to do it. But in this particular time, I was going to ask you which one was more difficult: finding stories to write about or things to talk about on the radio. But I know radio—you could talk about anything. Where when it comes down to writing, it's more of a, a specific thing that has to be sports-related and then work out from there. So you know, which one is uh, which one are you finding more or difficult or, or easy in this in this time?
1: Dennis, every opportunity I get to write a column, every opportunity I get to do a radio show. Uh, every opportunity that uh, I have uh, to uh, do my work is a privilege and uh, it, it, it's not difficult. Uh, uh, if anything, I take more joy in the, uh, uh, and uh, have more gratitude uh, for uh, being able to do those things than ever uh, right now. So uh, I've always felt that way about it. I've understood that and uh you know do more than ever and uh you know my point to to you we've been friends for many years now we aren't just uh you know the partners there we've been friends uh, good friends and uh you know i'd say this to uh, anybody out there and i've said this uh with every chance i get you know uh enjoy the moment as much as you can and uh take it for what it is and uh appreciate uh what you had and appreciate what you have, and uh, appreciate what life's going to be again uh, for all of us. But, you know, you'll never hear me complain, and I think you know this, or uh, about going to do a show, or uh, going to write a column, or having to cover something. Um, I've always known that, and uh, I know it as well as that.
0: Well, well said, Pat. Hey, thanks for joining us. Hope to talk to you down the road, man. Uh, uh, All the best to you. Take care, man.
1: Yeah, keep in touch, Dennis. I love you, man. All right, love
0: you too, Pat. Take care, bud. Bye. Bye. There he is, Pacaputo.